My name is Julie Arafay. I'm the Director of Simulation for Clinical Concepts in Obstetrics. The topic of this podcast is the tools teams use to improve performance. Team skills or behavioral skills are tools team members use to work together more effectively. These skills help teams organize and coordinate their efforts to more efficiently care for patients, particularly in an emergency situation. These skills aren't always distinct and separate, but they tend to blend into each other. For example, if you're a good leader, you are also usually a good communicator, you delegate roles effectively, and you're good at anticipating what patients need next. There are several ways you can learn about team skills. There are programs out there such as Team Steps or Crew or Crisis Resource Management. And there's also a list of behavioral skills that are found in the Neonatal Resuscitation Program. In this podcast, I'm going to talk about the following team skills. Know your environment, call for help, leadership, role delegation, communication, situation awareness, optimal use of resources and information, anticipation and planning, and maintaining professional behavior. Starting with your environment. Knowing your environment means where supplies are, where equipment is, how the unit flow works, what who is on the unit, what skill set do they have, how do you maximize that environment to take the best care of patients. Let me give you an example. Um, if you're taking care of a woman who's just delivered and she's starting to have increased bleeding, you may call for a postpartum hemorrhage cart and postpartum hemorrhage medications to be brought to the room. The impact this has on patient care is that if the patient continues to bleed, you have all the supplies and all the medications you need to immediately utilize them to take care of the patient and hopefully stop the bleeding. When you're calling for help, there are two aspects for calling for help. First is timing. So recognizing the need for help is important. An example of recognition of the need for help can come from the maternal early warning criteria. So utilizing maternal early warning criteria can help give some structure and guideline into calling for help. The earlier you call for help, the more likely you're not going to get into a bad situation with a patient. So it definitely impacts patient care. Also, an aspect of calling for help is getting the right people in the room as quickly as possible. For instance, uh, when you talk about calling for help with maternal cardiac arrest, If you bundle that call for help with uh, calling the code team, maybe obstetric providers uh, or teams like your rapid response team for OB, along with the neonatal team, one call could effectively get you all of the people you need instead of trying to remember how many people to call. So it's a more efficient use of your time. Leaders need to have the big picture of managing the patient. They are ultimately responsible for planning, organizing, and coordinating care. It is a huge job. And um, if you can think of a patient emergency, maybe the last patient emergency that you had, think about now that emergency with 
a physician or midwife, whoever was the provider of care, managing the patient, and a nurse organizing the room, making sure that the equipment that's needed is in the room, the right number of people are in the room, and that those people and equipment are ready to immediately take the next step in the patient care when it's called for. So the impact of that is when the physician or provider of record requests an order or places an order, uh, has a command, you can immediately act on that. Delegating roles um, is another team skill that really, I think, has a, a lot of a, a lot of impact on care and is really not fully defined yet in obstetrics. So when you have role delegation, typically you divide roles based on very specific tasks. And if you think about how easy it is to remember things, you want to keep the tasks, um, maybe uh, a smaller number of tasks associated with each role. So one of the ways of looking at role delegation is, for instance, look at the geography around the patient's bed. At the head of the bed uh, is the airway of the patient. Usually airway supplies are there. So who's ever going to be at the head of the bed is going to be responsible for airway. If you look at the sides of the patient where the patient's arms are, that may be a task or a role that is um, delegated by monitoring or medication administration or starting the IV. For us in obstetrics, if you're talking about below the waist where the obstetrician or midwife is, that may be a role that is designated to assist with maybe a uterine tamponade device placement or anything else that the provider might need. So the impact of having those very specific roles with associated tasks are that you can omit duplication of effort and you won't forget any tasks. And, of course, that can have an impact on getting the patient the care they need in as timely a manner as possible. Probably one of the most talked about team skills is communication. And information is power. So the flow of information is crucial in any type of patient situation. That information may flow to the entire team, or it may be from one team member to another. One powerful communication tool that I've seen used in the past is something I call the recap. Um, and this is not a name that I gave this, uh, this kind of communication strategy. It's something that um, I have seen used in organizations and hospitals. So what is a recap? So let's say you've got a patient who um, is having a seizure and the room is a little bit chaotic. A recap can be called by any of the team members to quiet the room, quickly review, and this is by quickly, I mean very quickly, quickly talk about the important part of the patient. This patient has been seizing now for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, whatever it is. What has been done for the patient and what needs to be done next? If there's any questions, 
and any tasks that look like they need to be assigned. And it might seem like you're taking time away from patient care, but what you're actually doing in a situation like this is stopping the chaos, organizing the team, and making sure that everyone is on the same page. If any tasks aren't being done, that that's recognized and the importance of those tasks is communicated to the team. So those then become the team's priority. And certainly you can see what impact that's going to have on patient care. Situation awareness is um, one of those things that I think doesn't get talked about enough. So situation awareness can include a couple of things. It can include recognizing Uh, There's a change in the patient's status. So you're so busy doing tasks that maybe you don't realize that the patient um, has now stopped breathing or has ineffective ventilation. Situation awareness can also have to do with the passage of time. So I don't know if you've ever been in a patient situation, but I know I certainly have where I feel like it has been an hour and I look up at the clock and it's been maybe 10 seconds or I think it's been 10 seconds and, oh, my gosh, it's been a half an hour. So maintaining situation awareness, whether that's of patient status or passage of time, is an important team skill. So let me give you an example. Um, Let's say there's uh, a neonatal resuscitation and the baby needs to be intubated. One of the things that you can do to maintain situation awareness is to time the intubation. You want that intubation to be completed within 30 seconds. So letting the intubator know when they've hit 15 or 20 seconds allows that person to say, hey, I'm close. I'm going to keep going. Or you know what? I don't even see the cords. I'm going to back out and bag this patient. So it's kind of obvious the impact to the patient there is you didn't extend the period of time where that neonate was going without being oxygenated. Optimal use of information, uh, again, and communication, as you know, as we just talked about, communication is, our information is power. So optimally using that information is really important. Now, we all have electronic medical records, and sometimes getting information out of that electronic medical record can be um, a little bit difficult in an emergency situation. So think about having a way to access the information that you need, maybe utilizing one person who is extremely good at getting information out of the computer, uh, the electronic medical record, or placing orders as they're being given, maybe for labs or diagnostic tests. So if you think about the impact of just having that strategy where you have one person who is working with the electronic medical record, what impact would that have on patient care? Maybe getting information to the provider about the patient from the medical record faster or previous tests um, or placing orders in a faster fashion so that 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 um, that care is continued. So optimal use of resources kind of pairs with that. So this optimal use of the room, what's in the room? How can you optimally use the people in the room, the the supplies in the room? One of the ways of looking at this is um, 
when working with one of the teams uh, with maternal cardiac arrest, all of the staff did compressions ahead of time. And interestingly enough, the people who were most effective with chest compressions on the mom were the scrub techs. So think about if you're talking about optimal use of resources, if you're in a situation of maternal cardiac arrest and you know you have a group that are very good at chest compressions, you really don't need a scrub tech so much with maternal cardiac arrest to do a resuscitative cesarean. Um, that can be done by a physician. Um, it's not a sterile procedure. So if you free up the scrub techs to do chest compressions, you can put another, um, maybe a nurse or another physician down there to help the primary physician with a resuscitative cesarean and free up the other staff to do to take on tasks that are needed, medications, um, um, other um, taking care of the baby, other things that need to be done. So that's just one example. Anticipate and plan the next step. So in a patient situation, teams that work well together and are effective are constantly thinking ahead. What's the next thing I need to be ready for? If this doesn't work, then what's going to happen next? So an example might be, uh, as you all know, when you're in a patient emergency, it's the stress really impacts your ability to think logically. So many other industries utilize checklists. I think checklists are probably underutilized in healthcare. But if you're in an emergency situation and you're trying to think of the next step, let's say for a postpartum hemorrhage, you've done the medications, you've placed the uterine tamponade device, thinking about what is the next step, you can utilize the checklist. By utilizing the checklist, the room can be prepared for that next step when the provider decides that step is appropriate. So the impact is decreasing the time the order is given until the time the care is actually administered to the patient. Last is maintaining professional behavior. And sometimes it's difficult to actually quantify this, to measure it, but certainly it's easy to see when you're watching uh, people take care of a patient, whether care is being conducted with respectful tone of voice, um, res- uh, the appropriate tone, the appropriate volume. Um, is the room chaotic? Does it appear organized? So if you think about um, what we do in obstetrics, most of the time we have a patient and family members that are observing what we do. If the room is calm versus a chaotic room, what impact does that have on patient care? Um, I certainly know as a nurse, a calm environment is much easier for me to work in than a chaotic environment where I'm not really quite sure what I'm doing wrong if, if there is an inappropriate tone or volume in the voice of the leader. Now, I think it's also important to understand 
the pressure, as I alluded to earlier with the leadership role, that is a huge role. So I like to talk about maintaining professional behavior last because I think a lot of the anxiety and stress of being a leader comes from the fact that you've got so much on your plate. So if you think about all of the other skills, uh, team skills that we've talked about in this podcast, putting those skills into effect and having teams utilize those skills effectively can result in a more calm environment in a patient emergency. All emergencies don't have to be chaotic. Look at codes in the intensive care unit. Now, granted, they do a lot of codes and they get a lot of practice. But what results from practice? They learn. They learn what roles are important. They learn what activities are important. They learn how the room is best organized. They learn what's the most effective person to be the leader. So team skills are powerful ways for patient for teams to organize care and improve performance. In summary, I want you to think about these skills. You can learn about these skills in a classroom. Absolutely. Um, Maybe you're going to read a journal. Maybe you're going to attend a conference, um, do an online program or a textbook. But really, to refine these skills and use them in actual patient care, they're best practiced in simulation. So please stay tuned for future podcasts on specific ways to include critical team skills in simulation to impact patient care. Thanks for listening.